0: The following audio is from Jacobswell Church. For more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.com. Lord, we come this morning and I can even confess from my own heart, I'm just so focused on myself so much of the time, Lord. It is so hard to get my eyes off of me and get my eyes on you, Lord. And so we need your Holy Spirit to help us. Help us, God, to set our eyes and our hearts on you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please open up to Romans chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you will see there is a Bible in the seat in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, that Bible is for you to keep. Uh, We will be in page 939 in that red Bible, page 1220 in the children's Bible. And we'll start by reading God's Word, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. Romans 1, 1 through 15. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son. That without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you. That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is that we may mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. When I was in college, my good friend Joe Choi asked me, he said, if you were stranded on a deserted island, and you could only take one book of the Bible with you, what would it be? And as I was scrambling for the answer, he told me that the right answer was the book of Romans. Many wise theologians agree with this. N.T. Wright, who's a New Testament commentator, says about Romans that it is by common consent Paul's masterpiece. It dwarfs most of his other writings, an alpine peak towering over hills and villages. Martin Luther, the great reformer, in his preface to his commentary on Romans, says this. He says, This letter is truly the most important piece in the New Testament. It is purest gospel. It is well worth a Christian's while not only to memorize it, you can try to do that during the series, Not only to memorize it word for word, but also to occupy himself with it daily, as though it were the daily bread of the soul. He says it is impossible. So if you're concerned about small group and the sermon being redundant, Martin Luther says this. He says it is impossible to read or to meditate on this letter too much or too well. The more one deals with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. The great Welsh preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, did a sermon series on the book of Romans, and his series lasted 13 years. 13 years. And what is amazing about that is that he didn't even finish the book of Romans, he did the first 14 of 16 chapters of Romans and then retired. If you do the math, this means that Martin Lloyd-Jones preached on about one chapter a year, which you can most certainly do. Now, don't worry, we are not uh, embarking on a 16-year sermon series, although this certainly could be. But my hope is that between now and, and next Memorial Day, that we will dip our toes into the vast ocean of this great theological work that together that we will drink in the great news of the gospel. The author of this book is the Apostle Paul. He wrote it. Uh, while he was in Corinth, most likely, uh, he was in Corinth for three months wintering there uh, because the seas were rough to travel in, as we have learned throughout the book of Acts. And so this probably happens in, in, in Acts chapter 20. If you remember, he's there. Uh, it's before he goes back to Jerusalem, is put in prison, is persecuted, and then finally makes his way back to Rome, which we, re- which we talked about last week. And so it's in this time before Paul has visited Rome. And Paul writes this letter to the Romans, and his primary interest in writing this letter is not to give them a book to take to them, to take with them on a deserted island. Uh, his, his purpose in writing Romans is not to provide a summary of the Christian faith. Uh, his, his purpose in writing Romans is not to give the church a, a manuscript to preach through for 16 years. Paul has many purposes, but Paul's primary purpose is to address the issues going on in the church in Rome to address them with the good news of the gospel you see in Rome they were struggling with an issue of disconnectedness disconnected between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians which are just non-Jewish Christians And they were disconnected from one another because they were interpreting the Old Testament differently and how it applied to the good news of the gospel. And so these theological differences created a disconnect in the community of the church at Rome. And this was Paul's great concern was to unite them underneath the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I think this book is is especially timely for us here at Jacobswell Church. Because it seems even we are going through a time where there is a growing disconnectedness between the people of our body. And it's not for theological reasons like in Rome, but it's because of a really good reason. Uh, It's because of growing pains. It's because we continue to grow as a church. You know, last, last Memorial Day, Trish and I had our party at the pastor's. And, and we had probably between 70 and 100 people there. And we just remarked to each other afterwards how, how almost everyone there had been at the church less than a year. I recently had, a, had lunch with a friend who has been attending Jacobswell Church for, for several months. And he said, you know, it's been hard to connect at Jacobswell Church because when we come on Sundays, nobody talks to us. Nobody talks to us. You know, we are growing more disconnected as a church. Not because... We're theologically opposed to one another, but because we're just growing inside these are these are growth pains that that every church goes through. And as I think about this, as I've dwelt on this, as I've heard this feedback, I've, I've really kind of thought through maybe there's, there's maybe a few reasons why this happened. I think, I think one of the reasons why this disconnect is happening is because the majority of us here feel like we are newcomers to Jacobswell Church. And so we're waiting for people to greet us and to welcome us. And, and so if 80% of us are waiting for others to say hi to us, what happens? Nobody says hi to one another, right? And then there's the other 20% who have been here a long time, and they feel so overwhelmed by the new faces that they say, I'm oh, i just, just going to go try to connect with the people that I know and that I love, uh, catch up on some things, ask some things I need to talk to them about about the week. And so, so we create this, this vacuum and it creates this disconnectedness amongst the people of God at our church. What compounds this problem is that because of the size of Well Church, there is an increased temptation towards consumerism to not commit to the church or commit to serve the church. We figure someone else will take care of it. I will come and receive, but will not give. You see, while the factors at the Church of Rome were different, the result was the same, which was this disconnectedness. And so Paul writes this letter, and it is timeless in its truth, but also timely in the life of our church, because it is Paul's hope and our hope That our church would be united locally here in this body. That we would connect with one another and grow with one another and love one another well. And that we would become a more beautiful picture of the gospel to one another. And so there are three things here that Paul points out that I think are helpful for us in thinking about how we can better connect. And the three things are by recentering, by remembering... And by renewing. First, recentering. Look with me at verses 1 through 6 again. Verse 1 Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Notice how Paul identifies himself here. Paul doesn't say, I'm Paul a tent maker. He doesn't identify himself by his occupation. He doesn't say, I'm a Jew from Tarsus. He doesn't, he doesn't identify himself by his nationality or by where he was born. But he identifies himself in relation to Jesus Christ. His very first words to the Romans are, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, literally a bond servant. A bond servant is at the whim of his master. A bondservant does whatever his master asks. And he says, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. This is true of all who trust in Christ, that this should be how we see our calling in life, to be of service to Jesus at all times and in all places. Now Paul narrows the scope of his calling. He says that he is called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. You see, All who trust in Christ are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ, but none of us are apostles of Jesus Christ. Apostles are those who have been specially set apart and commissioned by Jesus to carry forth his authority. The word authority, apostle actually means someone who is sent. And it is specifically those who are sent with the authority of the one who sent them. And so these apostles, which are 11 of the disciples and the apostle Paul, uh, they are sent forth with the, the authority of Jesus to go to to speak on Jesus' behalf, which is why they are the authors of the scriptures. And so Paul here says that he has started set apart for the gospel, speaking about his unique authority to speak the word of God, and also his calling to be the primary mission to the Gentiles. And so just from this one verse, we can see that Paul centers his calling, not around himself, but around Jesus Christ. But Paul's Christ-centeredness does not stop there at his calling of the gospel of God, the good news of God for salvation, Paul says this in verse 2. Says which he, God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning who? His son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. For Paul, Christ was not only the center of his calling in life, but Christ was the center of his theology. Christ was the center of his Bible reading. Christ was the center of his understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. You see, Jesus was the promised Messiah that the prophets foretold, that Jesus was a descendant of David, who was to be the king that would reign forever. That Jesus is the very son of God, confirmed not only by the word of God, but also by Jesus' miraculous resurrection from the dead. And so Jesus was central not only to Paul's calling, but also his theology and his understanding of Scripture. But it does not stop there. Paul goes on to in verse 5 to say that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the one through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Now, why? Why have we received the grace of God? Why has Paul received apostleship? Why are we called to the obedience of faith? What is the purpose? What is the end goal of all of these things? For the sake of Jesus' name among all nations. And then I love this part. He's saying, just so you know you're not the loophole, just so you know no, you're not left out of this, he says, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. When it says that we live for the sake of his name, it means that we live for the sake of Christ's reputation, for the sake of Christ's honor, for the sake of Christ's glory, And so here in these first six verses of Romans, which we have merely skimmed the top of, what we are reminded of is that we need to recenter our life on Jesus Christ. That Christ is central to our calling. We are servants of Christ. That Christ is central to the scriptures. It all points to him. That Christ is central to our mission, which is to glorify his name and not our own. I've shared this illustration before, but it is always so convicting to me. Around the 15th century, scientists balked when Nicholas Copernicus suggested that the earth was not the center of our solar system, that the sun was the center of our solar system. Well, decades later, Galileo adopted this theory and promoted it, and because of it, he was actually thrown in jail And then he was thrown in house arrest for the rest of his life. And as you think about this and you wonder, why do people get so upset? Why were they so mad at this theory that the earth is not the center of the universe? Why did it make them so upset? And I think the reason is, is because as people, we love to believe that we are the center of the universe, don't we? We love to think it's all about me. Centuries later, a Swiss developmental psychologist and philosopher was studying children, and he said this, he declared, he said, each child must experience his or her own Copernican revolution. They must learn that they are not the center of the world. And all the parents said, amen. You know, as I, as I considered these first six verses of Romans, I had to ask myself some really painful questions. Like, Dan, who are you really living your life for? Dan, when you wake up in the morning, whose, whose agenda is priority in your life? Dan, who do you really center your life on? Friends, I don't know about you, but I am daily in desperate need of a Copernican revolution. Because every morning when I wake up, gravity pulls me towards centering my life on myself and my agenda and my passions. And yet every day I need God to recenter me on Jesus because I get off track so easily. I know you think this guy went to seminary. He gets paid to talk about Jesus, but I'm telling you every day when I wake up, my first thought is not how can I serve Jesus, but it's how can I serve me? And so every morning I need to wake up and say, Lord, give me this Copernican revolution. Help me recenter my life upon Jesus. Now, how does this unify the church? Well, let's think about this. If we center our lives on ourselves as we are so naturally inclined, if we are self-centered, which we don't want to really confess out loud, but is true in our hearts, if we are all centered on us, then how many centers do we have amongst us? Hundreds of centers, right? But if all of us seek to recenter our life on Jesus Christ, how many centers do we have? We have one. And we are centered on the one that unites us. We are centered on the one who is the head of the church. Of which we are its members. And so if we want to build unity and community in the church, we must daily, if not hourly, recenter our calling and our theology and our mission and our very lives on Jesus Christ. Not only must we recenter, but we also must remember While it is true that that as Christians, we are servants of Christ, we are far more than that to the Trinitarian God. And Paul reminds them, the the church at Rome, of this. Look at verse 7 with me. He says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. You know, these verses are verses that we're tempted to really read over very quickly to think, you know what, this is just kind of Paul being cordial to the folks in Rome, but this is packed with theological significance. In verse 7, Paul first identifies them as those who are loved by God. That's who you are. You are loved by God. Paul starts there because this is the most wonderful thing about being a Christian, The most wonderful thing is that the God of the universe loves us and delights in us and cherishes us, that we are his beloved. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who preached on Romans for 14 years or whatever it might be, says this, he says, We are Christians for one reason only, and that is that God has set his love upon us. It is not surprising that the apostle here should remind these Christians of this wonderful thing. The world hated them. It persecuted them. They might be arrested at any moment at the whim of any cruel tyrant who happened to be the emperor. And they might be condemned to death and thrown to the lions in the arena. They were oftentimes hated by all men. So Paul is anxious that they should realize this, that they are the beloved of God, that they are in Christ. And then listen to this closely. And that God loves them in the same way as he loves Christ. Did you know this about your God? Did you know that he loves you to the same degree that he loves his own son, Jesus? You know, we are constantly seeking to be treasured by our our family, by our spouse, We want to be treasured by those at work, that they would see us as valuable and precious. We want to be be treasured by our friends, by, by our teammates. And while all of those fail us, there's good news. We are treasured by the God of the universe. And so, who are they? Paul reminds them, first and foremost, that they are the beloved of God. But it doesn't stop there. Paul says that we are also saints. Now, in some traditions, saints are for super-duper Christians, right? Super-duper Christians that do super-duper things become saints. But what we learn as we read throughout the scriptures is that, that all Christians are saints. You see, saint means one who is set apart. You are set apart to receive the love of God. You are set apart to be servants of God. You are set apart to live for the glory of Jesus and so what makes us set apart is not that we're super duper Christians but that we have a super savior Jesus Christ. You know a couple of weeks ago Pastor Chad shared that the new name of his East Side plant was All Saints Church and 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 he needs to speak why he said why he why it was named that but I love that name. I love the name All Saints Church because encapsulated in it is the good news of the gospel. You see, while some traditions think that we must merit this status as saints, the good news of the gospel is that Christ merits it on our behalf. You see, when Jesus came to earth, he took upon all of our sin, all of our shame. He paid for it in full upon the cross. And then he rose again from the dead and sent us his spirit so that we could have transferred to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are saints, not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And so Paul reminds them of their identity, that they are the beloved of God, that they are saints of God. And then he goes on. In verse 7, it says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not sure if our relationship with God as Father gets tired to us or if we get complacent to it. I think I do often. But we can't let this majesty escape us. That God is our Abba. He is our Abba Father. He is our Daddy. And we are His sons and daughters. He is our perfect Father, our good Father, our present Father. He's the one we can go to and talk to after a hard day. He's the one we can trust to protect us and care for us. He is the one that we can depend on when the world fails us because He is our Father. And God as our Father loves to lavish gifts upon us. We see three things here that he lavishes on us. He lavishes on us grace, which is that, that unmerited favor of God, the love of God. Grace is that God loves you simply because he loves you, not because of anything you've done. That's grace. He gives us peace. We are not at war with God. Because of our sin, we have every just reason to be enemies of God, but through Jesus Christ, we are made at peace with God. He is no longer warring against us and our sin. And so he gives us grace, he gives us peace, but he also gives us faith. I don't know if you notice here in verse 8. But look who, who Paul thanks for the famous faith of the Romans. Do you see who he thanks? He doesn't applaud the Romans, say, good job, way to have faith, way to have strong faith. He thanks God for their faith. Because it is God who has given them the faith to receive all the benefits of knowing Jesus Christ. And so we have to remember, we are the beloved of the Lord. We are the saints of the Lord. We are the children of the Lord. And we are recipients of his most glorious and wonderful gifts. For those of you who don't know, I'm a father. I have four kids. Uh, they range from age 11 to 7. And one of my favorite things as a dad is to have one-on-one time with my kids. Uh, It could be when I'm tucking them in at night and and whispering to them and praying with them or talking with them. It could be be taking them to practice. It could be going to Menards. It really doesn't matter. I love having that one-on-one time with them. And the reason I love having that one-on-one time with them is because I get to show them individually how precious they are to me. And so often I'll say something to them like, "Hey, hey, don't, now I'm kind of giving it up, but I'll say, hey, don't tell your brothers and sisters this but you're my favorite. (laughs) And I think they kind of know I say that to all of them, but don't tell them, but you're my favorite. And then a lot of times we go to Menards because somehow I just end up there on my day off. Even if I've got nothing to buy, I just end up at Menards. And I'll buy them a beef jerky stick or a little box of candy. I'll say, don't tell your mama, right? Get in trouble. I got to be careful I don't shower them with too many gifts, but I love to do it because they're my kids. Can I be honest with you? Your kids are not my favorite kids. My kids are my favorite kids. I'm not paying for your kids' college education. I hope to help pay my kids' college education because they're my favorite kids. You know, as diverse as the congregation we are, different stages of life, different ages, we have one great thing in common. All of us are God's favorite child. God loves us as he loves his own son, Jesus Christ. This unites us as a church, as we remember our identity, that God loves us and delights in us. And it encourages us to love and delight in one another. We must remember our identity as the beloved of God, as saints of God, as children of God, that it might bind us deeper together. So that we might serve one another as recipients of God's gifts of grace. And so how do we build unity in our church? We must recenter our life daily on Jesus. We must remember that we have a shared heavenly father and we are all God's favorite. And finally, we must renew our commitment to Christ's church. Verse 9, Paul says, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you. Do you notice Paul's affection for the Romans? Don't you wish people would have affection for you like this? Paul says, God is my witness. I talk about you all the time. I pray for you always. I'm always asking God that I can come to you. He says, I long for you. Now what is amazing about this is that Paul had never been to Rome. He never enjoyed a worship service with them together. He had never communed with them. He had never been to Rome. He probably knew some of them through travels. But he had never been to Rome. And yet here, because of their shared identity and because of centeredness on Christ, he has this great love for Christ's church. And so let me ask, do you share this love? Do you love Christ's church like this? Do you love Jacob's Well church like this? Now you may say, well, Jake's Well has a lot of problems. Completely true. So did the church in Rome. Just because we have problems doesn't mean that we should not be loved. Because if that was a disqualifier, you would not love any church on the face of the earth, right? But do you love the church like Paul does? If not, we must pray, Lord, renew my heart. Renew my love for your church. Renew my love for the saints. Renew my desire to serve them. You see, if we love the church, our natural desire will be to serve the church. And that's what we see here from Paul, verse 11 through 15. For I long to see that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may mutually encourage by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do, una- I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, But thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as amongst the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the fools. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Why was Paul eager to go to Rome? Was it because he heard they had a great choir? Was it because he heard that they had a great preacher? Was it because he heard that they had a great children's ministry? Paul was eager to go to Rome to serve the church. To serve them for the purpose of strengthening them. Look at what he says here. Look at his motivation to go to Rome. He says that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. In order that I may reap some harvest among you. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you. Paul wanted to go to the church at Rome, not to be served by them, but to serve them because he loved them and cared for them. Friends, we live in such a consumeristic culture. We can order a package and have it on our porch in two days. We have this saying that the customer is always right. That can't be true, right? The customer is not always right. But we have that saying, the customer is always right. We even have, have lollipops that, that are attached to a, a motor that spin for you so you don't have to crank your wrist. You just put it on your tongue and it, it goes, right? We are such a consumeristic culture. It is just fed to us. They, 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 they operate simply to please us. And yet, sadly, we are so tempted to come to Christ Church. In the same way. But please remember that Christ church is not a company. Christ church are people. It is a person. It is the bride of Jesus Christ. And we should not treat the bride of Christ like a lollipop. We should not use it and discard it. When it comes to church, people often have high expectations and low commitments. That is, that's what consumerism is. This, is, this becomes more prevalent as the church grows bigger. We just uh, assume that other people will take care of things. We want people to roll out the red carpet for us. We want people to welcome us into their homes. We want to feel loved. We want relevant preaching, superb music. We want all the ministries available that serve us, and none of these are bad. But if all of us come to church seeking to be served by the church, then who is there to serve? Paul tells us elsewhere why God has given us gifts. In Ephesians 4, he says, God has given the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, not to run the church, verse 12, but to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why? For building up the body of Christ. This isn't only Paul's thought. 1 Peter 4.10 Talking to the church, he says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as, God's, as good stewards of God's varied grace. The reason why God has gifted you is not for your own benefit, but to serve Christ's church. And what we see here, what Paul points out, is that as we serve the church, we grow as well. Verse 11 Second half again, Paul says that I may import to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And then don't miss verse 12. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. You know, I'm often, when I hear, when folks come back from mission trips, a common chorus that I hear is that I went to go serve other people and be a blessing to others. But I was the one who was blessed. I was the one who was served. I was the one who who benefited most drastically from this trip. I have good news for you, church. You don't have to buy a plane ticket to be blessed. You don't have to buy a plane ticket to be missional. All you have to do is show up at church. And show up with church with a renewed heart, not to come and to consume, but to come and to serve. And so let me ask, when you came to church this morning, what were your hopes and dreams? Were you saying, I want to come to church so I can love on this person and say hi to this person and greet this person and encourage this person or whoever God puts in my path, I want to care for them. Or did you say, I'm coming today because I want to be served. You know, Jesus is our own model. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We must pray that the Lord God would renew our love for the church and our service to her. Let me end with this. One of my favorite things to do is to visit with new people at Jakeswell Church. So if you're new here and I've never sat down with you for coffee or lunch, I'd love to do that. Just mark it on the connection card. I love doing it. And sometimes, occasionally, I'll I'll hear this refrain. They'll say, Uh, You know, at my last church, I left and nobody contacted me. Like, nobody even knew I was gone. And usually this is said as an indictment on the last church. But can I tell you what goes through my mind (laughs) when I hear that? Why aren't you missed? When you left, didn't it leave a huge vacuum in the church? Like, weren't they scrambling to, to fill your spots? Oh, no. Oh, they weren't. Because you just showed up a church to consume. Now this isn't always the case, please don't hear me say that. But I think many times, if, if you leave a church and nobody notices, maybe it's an indictment on that church, but maybe it's an indictment on you. You know, if you left Jacobswell Church today, would we be scrambling to fill your spot? Would we say, "Man, their service is so precious to us and so valuable to us?" Or would we say, "Who are they again? I don't, I don't remember. See, as the church grows bigger, this is how we will connect through serving Christ's church together. And so if our desire is that we would be unified as a church, that we would connect as a church, we must recenter our calling and our theology and our purpose on Jesus every day. We must remember that our identity is as beloved children of God. And we must renew our love of the church and our commitment to serving the church. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for your love for Christ Church. Thank you for dying for us, for redeeming us, for making us your own. Pray, God, that we would see your church as you do, precious and holy, coming not just to receive, but to serve and to love, just as you did for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.